the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Iran nuclear deal delayed amid new demands of the U.S. lifting sanctions on Iran and a stockpile of uranium. And there's nothing in the new JCPOA that's going to address the fact that any constraints on Iran's program simply evaporate. The Biden administration is put on the back burner while the Obamas take the limelight in a return to the White House. Barack and Michelle, welcome home. The Fed prepares to increase interest rates by another three-quarter of a percent. That's concerning from the perspective of policymakers because it means uh, that it's going to be more difficult to get inflation under control. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast, your first look at today's top stories for Thursday, September 8th. I'm Mike Scott. The UN's Atomic Energy Agency reported on Wednesday that Iran's stockpile of enriched uranium has grown to a point where they can easily produce a nuclear bomb. This comes as talks to revive the 2015 nuclear deal are hitting some major roadblocks over Tehran's last-minute demands for U.S. guarantees. However, Iran says its nuclear program is entirely for civilian purposes, and that it has never sought to work on nuclear weapons. Still, Iran dialed up its demands on guarantees to ensure it wins economic benefits from the deal, should they choose to accept it. Washington said Iran's response was not constructive, and European diplomats have set a deal before the midterm elections in the U.S. in November is looking increasingly Unlikely. Reporter Jody Cohen has more on the Iranian demands. Iran's government spokesperson Ali Bahadori Jaromi outlined four topics that it would like to see in the agreement. These relate to U.S. assurances that a new deal will last, U.N. monitoring and two points on sanctions relief. Meanwhile, Mossad chief David Barnett visited Washington in an attempt to highlight Israel's two key concerns and stop the current deal from being signed. Israel is opposed to sanctions relief. And the sunset clause for lifting restrictions on Iran's nuclear program when the deal expires. Cohen goes on to say that Israel's intelligence suggests that Iran is seeking to make a nuclear bomb. U.S. Ambassador to Israel Tom Niders welcomed Barnett's visit and engagement with Israel on Iran. At the same time, Prime Minister Lapid visited the 140th Squadron at Nevatim Air Base in the south of the country, which houses Israel's F-35 fighter jets in an apparent message to Iran. 
Israel says intelligence shows Iran is seeking a nuclear bomb. Iran says its nuclear program is for peaceful purposes. According to the UN's nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, Iran has been enriching uranium well above levels necessary for nuclear energy. With Mossad's chief David Barnet in Washington this week, as well as Israel's president Isaac Herzog in Germany, addressing what Israel sees as the dangers in the current nuclear deal, it remains to be seen what a final deal would look like if one can be reached. Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin joined the Salem Radio Network discussing the new Iran nuclear deal. When Biden campaigned, he promised that he would get a deal that was longer and stronger than the original JCPOA. And remember, one of the many problems with the original JCPOA is that it was filled with sunset provisions. So some of the biggest constraints in the deal, such as they existed, expire. We've actually already blown past some of the sunset provisions and the remaining most meaningful ones sunset at the end of this decade. So by all accounts, we've done nothing to make those sunsets disappear, make the provisions permanent. And there's nothing in the new JCPOA that's going to address the fact that any constraints on Iran's program simply evaporate in a matter of years. So obviously, if you're Iran, the best thing you would do, the smartest thing you would do is just abide by the terms of this weak deal until it expires. And then you can crank up your nuclear program to an industrial grade capacity. Gallagher says that the Iranians are demanding that the IAEA close investigations into allegations of seeking a nuclear weapon. We are not going to get a longer or stronger deal. We're going to get a shorter or weaker deal. Well, now there's this new issue. If you remember, due to some heroic action on the part of Israeli intelligence, allegedly, we now know that the Iranians, as anyone with, a, with common sense could have told you, the Iranians had a nuclear weapons component to their nuclear program. The IAEA, the Nuclear Monitoring Organization, has an ongoing investigation into that very fact. But apparently one of the things the Iranians are demanding in order to sign this new, weaker Iran deal is for the IAEA to completely close the books on that investigation. So we're never going to get an understanding of how far the what's called PMD, the possible military dimensions of their program, have gone. And if you don't have that understanding, if you don't have that baseline understanding of how far they've gotten, how can you develop an inspections and verification regime that allows you to monitor any you deal can. going forward? The Wisconsin congressman goes on to explain that a provision in the new Iran nuclear deal, in his opinion, is very dangerous. The third and final thing I mentioned, though, there's many aspects of this deal we can get into. I think it's fair to say maybe the biggest political mistake uh, former President Barack Obama made is because he knew this deal was so weak, he never submitted it to Congress for ratification uh, as a treaty. I mean, it was an international agreement, a major international agreement, and he did it purely as an executive agreement or an agreement between himself and the supreme leader of Iran. And therefore, it did not survive his tenure in office. President Trump came in and he ripped up the deal. Similarly, President, President Biden is not just going to repeat uh, President Obama's mistake. He's going to go a step further. And what we're hearing is they're going to insert a provision into the deal whereby if a future Congress or a future president abrogates the agreement, the Iranians will be allowed to snap back to massive advanced 
nuclear uh, production. Gallagher goes on to say that, in his opinion, the Biden administration's pursuit of a new Iran deal may undercut advances made with former President Trump's Abraham Accords. For the first time in a long time, in a region that I've spent most of my adult life dealing with that that's frustrated uh, our policy ambitions, let's be honest, the Middle East is a difficult place to deal with. We now have, because of the Abraham Accords, a framework we can build off of. We have a recipe for stability in that region and building off that growing cooperation between Israel and the Sunni Arab Gulf states, because they have a shared interest in countering Iran, is the path to geopolitical success in the Middle East. And if this administration jumps back into the arms of the mullahs uh, so that John Kerry or whoever now uh, can get a, uh, you know, a, a Nobel Peace Prize, they will screw up the foundation of the Abraham Accords. It will create more chaos in the Middle East. And then we'll, we'll, we'll be uh, uh, returning to the problem that we've had in multiple administrations, which is where we want to spend more time focusing on the Indo-Pacific, but we get sucked into a cauldron of chaos in the Middle East and undermine our alliance structure in the process. It makes no sense. Russia is looking to North Korea to purchase millions of rockets and artillery shells. However, a spokesperson for Russia has called a U.S. intelligence report on the purchasing plan a fake. But U.S. officials are sticking by their report, saying it shows Russia's desperation with the war in Ukraine. The ammunition North Korea reportedly intends to sell Moscow are likely copies of Soviet-era weaponry that can fit new Russian launchers. ABC's Tom Burridge is on the ground in Ukraine and says that Russia's ammunition stock is so low they're being forced to look to the North Korean market. The Ukrainians now claim they've taken a small city in the northeast. Add that to the villages they say they've taken elsewhere in recent days. We calculated about 15 in total. And it feels like the momentum has shifted in Ukraine's favor. But the counteroffensive is a risky and complicated operation. And unsurprisingly, reports suggest Ukraine is losing soldiers, but the Russians are too. This morning, Ukraine advancing slowly through the Russian lines. Video circulating online showing fallen Russian soldiers in the Kharkiv region in the northeast as Ukraine pushes to recapture villages from the Russians. This is U.S. officials claim that the Russians' munition stocks are running so low they're now asking for help from North Korea. We do have indications that Russia has approached North Korea to request ammunition. Burridge also says that Ukraine is on the offensive, but fears are high surrounding the nuclear power plant in Zaporizhia. Meanwhile, new images of damage caused by shelling at that nuclear power plant near Zaporizhia. Overnight, the UN's nuclear watchdog urging Russia and Ukraine to immediately cease all military operations in that area and establish a nuclear safety and security protection zone around the plant. We are playing with fire and something very, very catastrophic could take place. Meanwhile, the Ukrainians increasingly on the offensive. Former U.S. Marine Isak from Texas running reconnaissance missions for the Ukrainians along the front line in the south. I have uh, very high expectations that the, the, the Ukrainian uh, forces will be able to uh, beat back uh, the Russians um, and, and restore their, uh, you know, their territorial integrity.
That U.S. fighter also telling us that it's a bold move by the Ukrainians to go on the offensive. He says they're well prepared and the signs are good, but that it's early days. The suspect in the mass stabbing in Canada was taken into custody Wednesday after a three-day manhunt, according to a tweet from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in Saskatchewan. The RCMP took to social media to announce that alleged stabbing suspect Miles Sanderson was taken into custody. Sanderson had been considered by police to be armed and dangerous, and we get more on these developments from Canada this morning with Daybreak Insider's Mike Gracia. Authorities in Canada say the second suspect in a stabbing rampage that left 10 people dead was arrested Wednesday afternoon in Saskatchewan. The arrest of 32-year-old Miles Sanderson ended a three-day manhunt that included the discovery of the body of the other suspect, Sanderson's brother, 30-year-old Damien Sanderson, on Monday. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police are investigating if Miles Sanderson killed his brother. Miles Sanderson surrendered Wednesday after his vehicle was rammed by police near Rosthern, Saskatchewan. Canadian Public Service Minister Marco Mendocino says there will be an investigation into why Miles Sanderson, an ex-con with 59 convictions, was on the streets in the first place. I'm Mike Gracia. Former President Barack Obama and former First Lady Michelle Obama visited the White House Wednesday at the unveiling of their official portraits. However, according to reports, some Biden staffers felt snubbed by the former president. According to a report in the Washington Post, there was a bit of jealousy and tension between former President Barack Obama and President Joe Biden's circles. The report went on to allege that from the Obama team perspective, they're frustrated that Biden aides regularly boast of how they've avoided the mistakes of the Obama White House, like failing to sufficiently tout presidential accomplishments. In his own personal remarks, President Biden says it's good to have the Obamas back at the White House. Barack and Michelle, welcome home. (laughs) Welcome home. Jill and I and Kamala and Doug are honored uh, to host you and so many friends who have been part of this incredible journey. The former president says he's proud of his former vice president. Thanks to your decency and thanks to your strength, Maybe most of all, thanks to your faith in our democracy and the American people. The country's better off than when you took office, and we should all be deeply grateful for that. Meantime, former President Barack Obama says he hopes the portraits are an inspiration to many. When future generations walk these halls and look up at these portraits, I hope they get a better, honest sense of who Michelle and I were. And I hope they leave with a deeper understanding that If we could make it here, maybe they can too. They can do remarkable things too. Meantime, a few aides on both teams admitted later the friendship between the presidents is genuine. Democrats are hoping for an uptick in the presidential approval rating, but it continues to drop even further, according to Daybreak Insider congressional correspondent, Bernie Bennett. President Biden's approval rating fell modestly this week, according to a Reuters Ipsos opinion poll. The two-day national poll found that 38% of Americans approve of Mr. Biden's job performance. 
While his approval rating hit 41% last week, it has been modestly below 40% since mid-June, despite a string of Democratic legislative victories that his allies hope will convince voters to let them maintain control of Congress. Democrats are expected to lose control of the House in November. Bernie Bennett reporting. On Tuesday, a federal judge in Louisiana ruled that the Biden administration has 21 days to turn over all emails sent by White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre and Dr. Anthony Fauci to social media platforms regarding an alleged effort to censor social media content. Has the administration helped Twitter and Facebook with talking points about what the administration believes is misinformation or how much coordination is there between the administration um, and social media companies? So I, I, I don't have anything to, to share with you on that. I'm not going to comment on, on that right this time. The, the attorney generals from Missouri and uh, Louisiana said there's a vast censorship enterprise um, across a multitude of federal agencies. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not going to comment at this time. The decision by Judge Terry Doughty, appointed by former President Donald Trump, came as part of a lawsuit filed in May by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt and Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry. They accused the Biden administration of suppressing the right to free speech over the COVID-19 lab leak theory, coronavirus-related lockdowns, and other issues. The Missouri Attorney General joined Fox News And Eric Schmidt said this is the first time anyone will be able to see if the Biden administration tried to outsource censorship of the First Amendment. The first time anybody's got a chance to look under the hood, right, of the communications between uh, the the uh, the Biden administration and with their big tech partners in their in their effort to outsource censorship, you know, and violate the First Amendment. And so. I guess the best way to look at this is in two buckets. What do we know from the documents that have already been provided? We know that at least 45 officials, government officials, have been identified as directly communicating with big tech, with Facebook, with Twitter to take things down. They had these weekly censorship meetings. Um, in addition to that, they also uh, were able to establish a uh, uh, a verified flagging status for government officials to directly go uh, and censor. You had the uh, a senior official at Facebook directly communicating with the Surgeon General of the United States saying, hey, what can we do? And then a week later coming back and saying, we did that. What else can we do? Schmidt goes on to say that they hope to get to the bottom of how far the government's effort to censor Americans really goes. Um, I mean, they've effectively outsourced their censorship. The second bucket, Tucker, is the things that we don't know. We don't know right now. We know it's at the highest levels of government, but we don't know exactly how high and how wide this goes because the Department of Justice is objecting to uh, discovery to the folks in the White House, and they're claiming uh, executive privilege, which is nonsense because we're not even asking for internal communications. We're asking for communications with these third parties. And so that's the question now. How far does this go? How wide does it go? In this lawsuit, we're going to get answers because this ought to shock every American, regardless of your political stripe, that the government is actually censoring and silencing Americans. On Wednesday, the European Commission proposed a price cap on Russian gas, along with cuts in electricity. Power and fuel prices have soared as Russia has cut the amount of gas it sends to Europe, with European leaders accusing Moscow of weaponizing energy supplies. 
Melinda Crane reporting from Germany says that that country is working to wean itself off Russian gas. The German government has agreed on its biggest relief package yet for citizens and companies facing the pain of soaring energy prices. After tough overnight negotiations on the weekend, the coalition partners decided to help vulnerable groups, including pensioners, students and people receiving social welfare support, as well as energy companies that depend on expensive imported fuel. The 65 billion euro price tag will be paid in part by a new tax on windfall profits being reaped by other energy firms that depend on cheaper fuels, such as coal. And meanwhile, the tireless energy diplomacy of Germany's economics and climate minister Robert Habeck has succeeded in partially weaning this country off of Russian natural gas. Lisa Louise reporting in France says that President Emmanuel Macron is warning that energy prices are going to rise in his country. Paris has now increased a fuel subsidy by 12 cents to 30 cents per litre. It has also capped electricity price increases. But President Macron has already warned that the end of abundance is near and that energy prices will eventually rise. According to polls, the French are willing to reduce their energy consumption as long as the government continues to help them financially. Mikhail Kratkin, an oil and gas industry analyst, says that moves from European countries may be taking Russian President Vladimir Putin by surprise. I believe that the Russian government expected, uh, well, a somewhat different reaction to the gas uh, blackmail. Uh, Well, uh, I believe that Mr. Putin expected uh, Europe to decrease the Uh, well, the heat of uh, sanctions against Russia and maybe to decrease uh, the uh, help of of Europe to Ukraine, which is resisting the Russian uh, aggression. Kratkin says that Europeans are seeing that Russia is using energy as blackmail. Yes, I think they will make a difference, at least in the minds of the population, And uh, any small contribution counts uh, for uh, the resistance to the Russian blackmail. And uh, we see that it's not only the uh, people in the street that are uh, resisting. It is the industrial companies. For example, uh, since the beginning of uh, August till the end of of August, we see that uh, consumption of natural gas by industrial companies in Germany decreased uh, by over... 20%. 20%. This is energy saving, and it uh, it is a very important uh, uh, factor for the resistance. Meantime, Russia has blamed the supply cuts on technical issues and Western sanctions imposed over its invasion of Ukraine. UPS is hiring more than 100,000 extra workers for the holidays and says some of those jobs can lead to full-time positions. Daybreak Insider's Julie Walker has more. UPS's hiring spree comes as online shopping has slowed after a pandemic-induced surge, but the figures are still well above pre-pandemic levels. The company, known for its brown trucks and uniforms, said the openings will also be full as well as part-time seasonal 
and are primarily package handlers, drivers, and driver helpers. Seasonal drivers start at $21 an hour. UPS says it takes just 25 minutes for most people from filling out an online application to receiving a job offer. That's according to HR President Danielle Rees, who began her career with the company as a seasonal worker. Julie Walker, New York. The Federal Reserve appears to be on a path to raise interest rates by another three-quarters of a percent this month in the wake of Chairman Jerome Powell's public pledge to reduce inflation, even if it increases unemployment. John Leake is the chief economist at Morning Consult and says that in spite of some encouraging trends regarding inflation, the Fed is still being aggressive with rate hikes. Over the last few weeks, financial markets increasingly have started to believe that that the Federal Reserve would raise interest rates by 50 basis points as opposed to that more aggressive 75 increase. And it sounds to me like Powell is sort of explicitly coming out and, and, and trying to defend or leave open the possibility of being more aggressive, despite the fact that we've had some encouraging numbers recently, um, or I should say at least encouraging trends as it relates to inflation. Lee goes on to say that it's imperative that the Fed gets a handle on inflation for many reasons. It's absolutely critical because over time, as consumers, workers start to expect inflation to become higher in the future, it changes their um, purchasing patterns. It changes their job search activity. It changes their wage bargaining uh, strategies. You start seeing more and more workers demanding higher wages, which in turn try, you know, drives business costs and ultimately results in higher price inflation. I think you also start to see... Um, you know, a, a sort of a, a hallmark of a period of hyperinflation, which we're by, by no means in a period of hyperinflation, but in a period of hyperinflation, you would start to see consumers front run spending. They'll buy things now with the belief that uh, prices will go up dramatically in the future. And that in turn can have a self-fulfilling prophecy. Leak explains that inflation has spread into many sectors in the economy which may be more difficult to get under control. Inflation and the inflation story originally was concentrated in a few sectors, particularly these sort of pandemic-affected categories. It has spread to a broader range of, of goods and services. And in particular, it started to hit these core service uh, uh, categories. And I'm thinking really about housing and, and shelter in that sense. That's concerning from the perspective of policymakers because it means uh, that it's going to be more difficult to get inflation under control. If it were really just used cars and gas prices, those would come up and then eventually come down. Something like services and core services in particular, those tend to be stickier and, and require a lot more work uh, from policymakers to get those prices under control. CVS Health will pay about $8 billion to expand into home health care. Daybreak Insider's Keith Peters has more details on this developing story. It's a practice that could cut costs and keep patients happy, providing they get the help they need. The healthcare giant is buying Signify Health, a technology company that sends doctors or other care providers to patient homes to assess how they're doing and what help they might need. CVS Health CEO Karen Lynch told analysts Tuesday that the deal announced late Monday is a way for her company to provide more help to patients where and when they want it. Keith Peters reporting. And finally... By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. <laughs>
TikToker Ethan Kaiser, in an effort to debunk magic, is begging online to be cursed by witches. Kaiser's efforts apparently paid off as one so-called witch requested that Kaiser send her a photo of himself, a shirt, and samples of his hair and nails. However, despite the witch saying the hex would begin three days to three weeks later, at the two-week mark, Kaiser claimed nothing had happened to him yet. Magic isn't real, and I've asked every single witch on TikTok that claims they have powers to hex me. And this one responded. I sent her everything she requested, including my hair, a photo of me, my nails, and a shirt. She received the materials and completed the hex last week. And so far, nothing bad has happened to me. A lot of people are saying that I'm playing with fire. I am sacrificing myself to show all of you this is nonsense because I don't want you to spend money on these people and get scammed. That's right. If someone does tarot cards, sells you crystals, can speak to your dead loved ones, a psychic, whatever, they're all lying to you. Notice how all those people are now saying, I'm being disrespectful, that this is wrong of me. It's not wrong of me. They're just concerned about their bottom line, their business. If you're afraid of this stuff, watch me show you how there's nothing to be afraid of. In his original hex request with 1.6 million views, he claimed he would risk his life just to prove that those who say they have magic powers are frauds. In subsequent updates, he poked fun at the online witches who claimed that the hex hadn't worked because he was expecting it or said it would be inherited by future generations. Meanwhile, many viewers denounced his efforts, telling him that he was playing a very dangerous game and warning him, don't mess with this, bro. Stop, stop, stop. You're going to take someone's eye out. Besides, you're saying it wrong. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.